This episode of the Black Gold Podcast is brought to you in part by the Black Gold Podcast Store, where you can get exclusive Black Gold Podcast merchandise. Here you can purchase the new My Story Matters design on a comfortable t-shirt or in a snug and warm hoodie. Also, you can purchase my new ebook on podcasting called The Podcast Jumpstart Guide to help you get from zero to your first episode teaching you the tools and resources that I've used to build a quality podcast on a low budget. To get your hands on this awesome merch at a discount, go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go to the menu and click on the Black Gold Podcast Store discount button to save 10% off your next order. Hello listeners, on this show I talk with everyday African Americans who were able to transform their passions and struggles into their dreams. I'm your host Moses Tillman Young and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Rasul Mutalib the author of What's Your Coffee Strategy? Using the Coffee House to Accomplish Anything in Life and the founder of Belancing.com, one of the fastest growing freelance platforms in the United States. In our conversation, Rasul and I discuss his beginnings in the tech industry, how to hold a business meeting in a casual setting, and we share various tips that'll allow you to start your freelancing journey on the right foot. Today, with me on the Black Gold Podcast, I have Rasul Mutalib, and he is an entrepreneur, a 20-year technologist, and he is an author and the founder of Belancing.com, one of the fastest-growing freelancing platforms in 21st century. So, Rasul, welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, very excited to have this interview. Yeah, so, Rasul, you started Belancing, the freelancing company, and it's sort of like Fiverr and Upwork. But what made you want to start another freelancing company? Is there anything that happened to you personally that you wanted to start that business or was it simply because you saw there was an opportunity and you created a product for that? No, it's a combination. That's a great question. So as you mentioned, I mean, I've been in technology for 20 years and I actually started out freelancing, building websites back when companies really didn't even have websites, if you can think back that far. And so I guess you can say it's always been a part of me to do that. And what I noticed was, as part of being in technology for so long, I've used other platforms and it's just a maze and kind of a jungle of freelancers out there. The service is 50-50, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And I felt there was an opportunity to create a freelancing platform that was very, very much focused on service, almost like the, the Chick-fil-A to the McDonald's Burger King if you will, and more of a boutique offering that 
would allow clients to have a better experience, quite frankly, in, in trying to navigate the freelancing space and get work done. So, I mean, all those things combined. In addition to, I just thought the timing was right with the pandemic, people working from home. And I fundamentally believe that freelancing is going to be, at some point, just a standard part of the way people do work. So it felt like the right time to get involved. So was there anything before you said that you yourself were a freelancer and so you started this out of your own desire to not just help yourself, but also help others in the freelancing space. So is there anything that you did before that that you would say inspired you to become a freelancer in the first place? Well, I mean, I, I think a number of things. My father was an attorney. And so growing up, seeing him with an office with his name over the door, I mean, I've gone to the ends of the earth in my career. I started out at the very bottom in the tech space. Coming in, you get a phone and a cubicle and back then a Blackberry and work my way up from there to become uh, a senior executive in one of the largest fintech companies in the world. And so once I did that and you look back, you start thinking about, well, what's next? And so part of it being a freelancer in heart was, all right, well, how can I take everything that I've learned over these 20 years of managing billion dollar platforms, literally millions of transactions uh, per second, just going across really the world and, and take all of that experience into and place it into something that would benefit people like myself, people who are freelancers, businesses that need freelancers and do it a little bit different and, and see how it works. And so, you know, I think that's what really led me to the decision. It's really about kind of the next chapter in my life and how I can create some value in the marketplace. So as you were navigating exactly who you wanted to be, you, you said that you were inspired by your father and you wanted something that would help others to navigate the marketplace. You wrote a book and it's called What's Your Coffee Strategy? Using the Coffee House to Accomplish Anything in Life. Can, can you give us a, a quick summary of what that book is about? Oh, absolutely. So if you recall, just my career starting at the bottom in technology, and then all of the relationship building and et cetera that you have to do to work your way up the ladder. It's really all about relationships and building relationships, leveraging relationships, in addition to putting in the work. I mean, I don't want to underscore the amount of work that's required really to be successful at anything. So as I've, you know, navigated that and, and really started to experience some success in looking back. Again, to me, it's about creating value and, and adding value back into the marketplace. I thought it would be good to write a book that would outline some of the things that I did. And the coffee house, as, as it were, is a great place for conversations. People are much more likely to accept a coffee invitation over a dinner invitation it's much now, I think, in, our, in the time today, become the one thing before the number two. And so it's like an A to B. You, you, you don't just go straight to dinner. Sometimes it's easier just to say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. 
And then, so when you do that, it's about, well, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you looking to accomplish in meeting this person? How do you get out of this relationship? What something that is valuable to you and how do you give that value back to them as well? So it's mutually beneficial and it lasts over a long period of time. And that, that, what I found was something that not a lot of people really knew how to do. And so putting it in a book format, it helped me crystallize it for myself. But on some of the people that read it, the reviews were actually better than I expected. So it was my first book. So I had no idea what it was going to, what the response was going to be like. And it was, it was a great response. And I was, I was really glad that people got some value from it. So in the book, you talk about it's how to conduct business within the coffee house setting. And as you said, it's much easier for someone to accept a, a coffee date rather than a dinner date. And it is simple, no strings attached. Nothing is really expected to come out of it except for you guys just going to sit down and talk and see where the conversation takes you. And so it's that idea of using that kind of environment to initiate business dealings in such a way that it is, I mean, it can go complex, but it doesn't really have to. And That's right. get people interested in who you are and what your product or service is, and also what they can also offer you in exchange for that product or service as well. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it almost sounds like you read the book or you just really fundamentally understand the concept. Because when you think about a coffee date, as you put it, well, it could be two hours if the conversation is really, really good. But the other person, we, we know that people value their time much more now than say in the past, because our pace is so, so rapid, all the things that people have to deal with. So if, if the meeting is not necessarily going so well, or the conversation is not going so well or if the other person is fundamentally not interested, or even if you are not interested, well, it's nothing for a coffee conversation to be 30 minutes or even 15 minutes. So you can always pull that release cord at any given point in time and wrap up the conversation safely without being rude or disruptive. Whereas a dinner conversation is already going to be much, much longer you're waiting for the dinner to be served. You're ordering, you're eating. You're kind of committed to be there for a couple of hours. Unless, you know, otherwise, it'd be considered very, very rude. So inviting somebody to coffee first is an excellent way to meet people who otherwise may not be willing to meet. And I have used that, I'll tell you, repeatedly over the years, both inside of the work environment and outside of the work environment. It works exactly the same. It's the idea of using that time to get things done in such a way that there is no expectations and also doing things in the way that you can go in depth, as you said, long two hour conversations about it, or it can be quick and simple, no, no harm, no foul. So that, that's a really excellent way of introducing someone that's where you would say your, your pitch for your product or service and get that out of the way in such a way that it is not only 
timely for the other person. It doesn't waste the other person's time. It's also classy in a way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all of those things. And one of the other things that it goes into is, well, how do you actually construct a conversation to make sure you get to the pitch without being, you know, overly abrasive or not having the right pre kind of small talk prior to the conversation? What if the other person also has an agenda? How do you make sure you, you know, get what you're looking for out of the conversation? And quite frankly, what I've found in some of the mentoring that I've done professionally, just with people that come to me for questions and advice is some people are afraid to ask for what they want, or they don't really think about it that way without feeling as though it's wrong somehow. So it's, it, it also explains how to get around some of that and letting the person understand that it's okay to identify people that you would like to meet and understanding a reason why you would like to meet them. And then going about it in a, in a professional way where you're not just trying to shark them and, and con them and just get a one-sided thing, but also try to understand what they might be looking for and then bundle that into the conversation and et cetera. So I tried to bake all that into the book and it turned out really well. So you have been in the technology space for over 20 years. Has there been anything that you have learned recently considering the pandemic, especially being in Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Atlanta, much to my happiness and satisfaction, is very fast becoming and kind of has become a major technology hub, both in the United States, but certainly in the Southeast. And there's a ton of companies moving here. The startup community is really starting to explode. We have some very strong figures like Dr. Paul Jellich, who are really pushing uh, the envelope in terms of technology, and then quite frankly, pushing the envelope of blacks in technology, both at the development level and at the leadership level. It's, it's an excellent time to be in Atlanta. And I've spent my 20 years has all been in Atlanta. So it's really evolved. I would say over this past seven years into a powerhouse and it's that also helped in the decision to form BeLancing.com because you have a ton of technology talent. I did, and I, I have come to notice that at black technologists as a whole are, I would say underrepresented in the freelance space. And I think that is largely due to just awareness and knowledge of how to navigate that and get involved in it, which is also a reason why I started the platform was to raise the awareness in, you know, our community around that because it's an excellent revenue stream. Yeah. So, I mean, Atlanta is, is, is growing. You asked very specifically about the pandemic. And I would say on that question, one of the things we haven't come out of it yet, and we're, we're, we would like to believe, at least I would like to believe that we are close to the other side, but we just don't know. But I think everybody would agree it has fundamentally changed the way that we are going to approach work. And I don't know if it will ever go back. And given that, I think freelancing 
it accelerated just kind of the consciousness of, well, how can I do something else in addition to my job to make a quality income, not just 10 bucks here on a ride share or something like that, but something that is substantial that if I lost my primary means of income, I could at least sustain myself and have something else. And then some people are, are quite frankly saying, look, I don't want to go back into an office. I, I've gotten a taste of what it's like to be at home. And I like this quality of life. I, I want to figure out something I can do that would allow me to stay at home. So the pandemic has really, I think, accelerated just kind of the, the awareness or the, the push to find something like freelancing. And I really want to be a part of just kind of leading that charge and giving people an alternative to have an income that can sustain themselves outside of just a day job. Yeah. And it's also the idea, as you said, people being at home with their family, they didn't have that kind of luxury time that they could spend with them because they were always at work on the job. And it was a decision between spending time with either your family members or spending time at work to help provide for your family members. And so there isn't that schism between the two. There isn't, it's not either, or it's not both. And you can stay at home and you can also do the work that you need to do. That's right. That's right. That's a great way to put it. I mean, and, and what we're seeing, and you've seen a ton of articles in all the major publications about it is people are kind of refusing to go back. And it's not even really about get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. It's really about quality of life that I now have experienced and my family has benefited from. And it's just too much for me to give that back up. So how can we, me, the employee, you, the employer, figure out a way that we can balance this. And I think the businesses that are going to come out of this the strongest are going to be the ones that recognize that and adopt to it the fastest. I think the ones that try to force their way back to the old way, you will always going to find somebody to work for a paycheck, but the quality of those resources is, is not going to be the same as the ones that are moving towards the companies that are offering that flexibility. So I actually think it was a really good thing when you think about the families benefiting, children benefiting, people's mental health quality of life, being able to do more outside of work, hobbies, reading books. I mean, it's just, there's a ton of benefit that I think the society in general will gain from having a more balanced approach to work. Yeah. And it's also the idea of just taking a break and understanding that the things that need to be done, they will always get done no matter what happens. Yep, that's true. And I'll tell you something else, Moses, the, the one thing that me being a, an executive, I'm responsible for a lot of people and really what it is, is you're responsible for getting things done. And what I found was people actually, in many cases were putting in more hours because they were not getting up and spending time getting dressed or not having to leave early to beat the rush hour traffic. They could actually 
be online for, let's say if they had to go on the East coast and part of their team is on the West coast, they really didn't mind having a call or a meeting that started at 5 PM because they knew at the end of that meeting, all they had to do was just shut down their computer and they were right there at the house. So what I found was in certain types of environments, specifically in technology, now that may not be true in manufacturing and frontline worker situations and et cetera. Obviously that does not apply there, but I would say skilled labor that can be remote, whether it's a project manager, an application developer, those types of positions, you're actually getting more hours out of it. And it's being done in a way that it isn't so disruptive to the life and they don't begrudge it as much. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm fine. I can take this 5 PM meeting because I'm already at home. So I actually found almost people are worried about productivity that you find many companies saying, well, productivity actually increased as a result of a lot of people to work from home. And I think that's also an impetus to companies who have said, yes, we are going this direction. We're not going to open back up a large office. We're going to save that money. And it's actually more, it's actually better for bottom line. So a, a whole new way of looking at just work and managing work locations and et cetera. This was a massive experiment that put forward some pretty definitive results. It's going to be a very interesting next, I would say 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And the cool thing about B-Lancy and other freelancing sites is that the money that is created goes to the person who's doing the job and it's whatever they believe themselves to be of value. So if you have two creators, both of them are web designers, one charges you, say $50 to do a job. The other one charges you $100 to do a job. You look at their years of experience. You want to get the one who has a lot more years of experience because they know what they're doing. And it's much easier for them to know exactly what needs to be done to your website. And so it's the idea of you are also just paying people directly and you're not paying them through a company. And you are also supporting people with families, people whose lives depend on that income for them to live, to eat, to have healthy lifestyles. Yeah. That's a great, great point. And I, I, I'm very appreciative you said that because it's absolutely true. Many of the freelancers that are on BeLancing.com, some of them are in the midst of transitioning. Some people did get laid off and they're not necessarily mobile application developers. Maybe they're just project managers, but you have businesses that maybe they don't need to hire a full-time person, but they need somebody that is quality that they can bring on board quickly without all of the kind of HR red tape to, to manage something that they're working on. And what a lot of people forget is many more small to mid-sized, you know, businesses than there are these giant mega corporations and all of these small and mid-sized businesses, they're also coming back alive as the economy is kind of opening back up post COVID or as we, what we hope to be post COVID, everybody can't afford to fully staff up again. They've got to wade their way back into the water. And so freelancing provides a nice, healthy mix of flexibility where 
they can hire people, put people back to work. And as their business gets more stabilized, they can bring them on full time. And it, it's just, it's a nice, happy medium. And to your other point about pricing, yeah, people can, based upon their skill set, they determine their value. So it's not really an argument or you're waiting for your boss to, I hope I get a good raise. No, if you feel like you're worth, as you said, a hundred dollars versus 50, you can go on the website that day and change it to a hundred. And if clients, people ask why you can tell them why, and people don't mind paying more for better quality. So it just, it creates so much more flexibility for the individual. And that's why I think things will go this way over the next probably 10 years. This will be a standard way that many, many people work. Now, would you say that the people who become freelancers on freelancing, are they the jobs that they offer? Are they the jobs that they themselves do in their regular daily life? Or is it jobs that they have? Uh, or skills rather that they have learned and mastered and they want to be paid for the knowledge and services of those skills. Yeah. I would say probably the majority are things that somebody already does either in their career or that they went to school for. You have this entire population of people that went to school for one thing, but had to take a job doing something else. And so this gives them the opportunity to do that. But I would say definitely the majority is, is people who have honed these skills either in school and they're, they're, they're either graduating or about to graduate, or they've been working in this particular field. And so it's very easy for them to just create some job offerings and service offerings and et cetera, and manage those things in addition to what they're doing. But there are people who are kind of bridging the gap between what they're doing versus what they would like to do with the hope that what they would like to do will grow to the point that they could do that full time. Have you seen any new numbers in terms of the great resignation? Has it been an uptick in people registering for freelancing sites? I would say so. I mean, the numbers that nothing has come out yet officially. And in all honesty, freelancing marketplace numbers are not yet measured by the Census Bureau. It's not yet as much of a pillar. I think it will be in the next probably 24, 36 months. But it's not yet as much of a pillar that these official statistics come out from an economy perspective. Many of the statistics right now come out from some of the major platforms that just monitor activity on their own sites like BeLancing.com, I will just say by talking to some of the freelancers that are on the platform, we will see and have seen an increase in activity post-COVID, during COVID, et cetera, because people are thinking, they're thinking about, okay, I see a lot of businesses closing, especially if you're one of these major impacted cities that have really shut down. People are thinking, well, what else can I do? And so it's just natural, right? It's just natural that the registrations and et cetera will go up. What'll be interesting is how much it stays there or continues to accelerate after 
hopefully we get to the other side of this. And that, that'll be kind of a, I think a telltale of how fast this freelancing mindset will become firmly fixed in, you know, the minds of, of the people, not just in the United States, but in Canada and Europe and India, really all, all over the world throughout the Croatia and countries like that, even Latin America is, is beginning to get into the freelancing market, but the United States is fastest growing, but Europe is, is a close second and then Canada is somewhere in the mix and obviously India and, you know, those in Bangladesh and those types of countries, they have a massive amount of resources that, um, are, are already on these platforms and working. In starting freelancing and also in writing your two books, was there ever a time where you thought like, this isn't what I should be doing, or I'm not doing this correctly. I should wait and until some other time to do this. Did you ever have that sense of either fear or failure when you started out on no. your projects? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go into it like that. And I think somehow I just had an obscene level of confidence in that it was the right time and the right thing at that time. And I think that more broadly, when you think about an entrepreneur or, or you starting your podcast or someone saying they're going to be a freelancer full-time, you have, it, it's all about your conviction and your consistency. And I, I fundamentally believe that. And it, I choose not to let doubt creep in and I see the vision in front of me and I make it real. And so I, I move forward as if it's already there in many cases. So for me, and that may sound however it sounds, but that's how I approach things. And so when I wrote the book and when I launched B-Lancing, I just, I had such a strong conviction that this is the right thing. There's an audience that needs this. And I have the skills and the capability and the experience to be able to do it and do it well. And so up to this point, I would say it's, that is, that has been true. Certainly I haven't, everybody's slipped and, and stumbled and had ups and downs, but to me, that's just all a part of the journey. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not ready or you're, you're, it's the wrong thing or whatever. It's just a part of the journey. And if you don't have that, then to me, you're not even really trying hard enough. So no, I never really doubted it. And, and the results really, they showed that the conviction and the belief was, was, was true. And so the jury's still out on B-Lancing. We've just only really launched this year. The crazy thing is within a very short period of time, we've got several thousand freelancers registered, a ton of feedback from publications and everything is really, really positive. And the response has been absolutely phenomenal. Was there anything that you did? to prepare yourself for doing freelancing because in terms of freelancing and people quitting their jobs, it seems as if you have found like, this is the perfect time to start a freelancing website that isn't as saturated as the more popular ones like Fiverr and Upwork, but has there been like, what did you do to allow yourself to be able to have this epic product ready to launch at this time. 
whether any books that you read, anything that you have been doing recently or even before yeah. to prepare yourself for that? Well, I, I started to conceptualize it, I would say probably last year, this time, just writing down notes and really studying the marketplace, studying statistics, studying the data around it, trying to understand to your question earlier, is this a good idea or not? Can the marketplace take another competitor, especially an upstart competitor when you have these very well-established incumbents? And I, I did a ton of that research and all the signals kept pointing to green light, go. In, the, in addition to the fact that I'm a, I'm a very avid reader, I buy more books than I'll ever read, but I've read a ton of books and I think that's just a, a great way to always be expanding your ability to just understand things. And so when market trends like this come about, when, when the pandemic and et cetera, I had already actually launched and started to launch blancing.com prior to, you know, COVID. So it wasn't like, oh, here's COVID. Let me launch this. It just, the entire pandemic, I think really just accelerated it, but I already felt like it was the right time. Freelancing is more and more people are starting to think, I think in that way. And then, like I said, I just felt like specifically in, you know, the black community, not just in the United States, but Canada, Europe, et cetera, was just underrepresented also. And I, I wanted to really be a part of elevating the awareness of it and, and making it an available option from that perspective also. So, I mean, it was, it was all those things combined that really just made me feel like this is the right time. This is the right place. And then when the pandemic happened, it just really cemented that. Was there a specific book that you read that helped you in terms of getting lancing off the ground or simply just helped you in terms of developing a confident character? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many books that I, w I don't even know where to begin. I mean, just, I read a ton of biographies. Reginald Lewis is obviously one that I read that back in college. I read that when it was uh, published and it was, it was one of the first books that I actually purchased right out of the bookstore for full price because you, you, you know, when you're in college, you're always broke. But when I saw that book, I just, I just had to read it. And it was just such a great, great story and a great read. And it really spoke to me because obviously he went through a lot of similar things that all of us go through and trying to evolve and grow and be successful, et cetera, that I would recommend everybody read that one, but just so many other ones. I mean, philosophy books, there's always the Sun Tzu, Art of War. There's the Book of Five Rings, Miyamoto Musashi. A lot of people, they kind of miss that one. There's The Alchemist, which I think is a great business book, even though it's not framed that way. And from a business perspective, I could, I could probably name a hundred that I would say all influence me in, in different ways, but not, there's not really one that I, that I read and I said, all right, now, now or never, I just, I feel like the more you read, just the more you can be aware. And that's really what's helped me to get to this point. Yeah. The book of five rings. That's one of my favorite books as well, in terms of, as you said, it's the kind of art of war, but it's 
more practical in terms of specific actions that you do. Yep. And it's supposed to be, it's a, it's a training guide for young samurai warriors and it's for them to, you know, different sword movements, different things for them, how to use different pieces of equipment and how to interact, how to engage against their opponents. And it's broken up into its five different books within the book. And it's my favorite book is the book of a void. And oh, yeah. 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 And that one, I mean, I just love it because of the title, but it, it's pretty cool. It's in this idea of everything. It's everything is nothing and nothing is everything. And it's the idea also of like anything that you want stuff to be, it can be. And so you make it be, it, it, it's really deep, yeah. really, really interesting. And the other one that you said that I really, really enjoy is in my top 10 list for sure is the alchemist. And that's just, it's an incredible story about finding a meaning, finding your purpose and finding out your your potential, especially the potential you didn't even know that you had. And it's just incredible in terms of touching on all those points and clarifying them in such a way that is, I would have to say it's, it's very unique and very entertaining as well as educating in terms of how to act in such a way. And as you said, you are more confident, you understand exactly what's going on, not entirely, but you have a sense that you can act in a way that is intelligent and not out of pure instinct. Those yeah. are, those are great, great works. And it's like, I've read a ton of very ABCD, very books about just how to manage a data organization, how to manage an IT delivery organization, just very structured, very rigid, pure business books. But when you have those types of books that balance out, it's almost like left brain, right brain. It, yeah. it just gives you such a, it brings it all together where you can collapse all that data into a single stream of thought. It just makes your, your decisioning, your vision, everything, I think just much more precise, much more fluid, much more comprehensive. And yeah, I agree with everything you said Two two very, very great, great pieces of work. So. Who introduced you to the world of becoming a technologist? Well, I mean, interestingly enough, so I had to leave college a little bit earlier than I wanted to, and it was financially motivated. And so at that time, the fastest way to get the best paycheck was technology. The, the alternatives were going to sales, start out at either at or below minimum wage, work your way up. Whereas in technology, there were all these certifications that were out at that time because companies were really just migrating to having local and wide area networks, having these massive server infrastructures, having data centers. I mean, all these things were, were very, very new and there was no human resource pool to pull from, to help comp a company to do these things. So. If you could study and pass a test and get a certification with really no experience, you could jump right into a 50 or $60,000 job, uh, a year job. 
And I mean, it was, it was just such a, it was like a gold rush at the time. So me at the time being my early twenties, not having any business experience, et cetera, but, and needing a, a very quick way to get into a, a decent earning job, I took to the books. And I mean, I was, I was reading these 600 page uh, certification books, literally one after the other. And I went on a tear, I would say for about seven years where I said, I'm going to learn one new technology every year. And this was after it, I, I'd already gotten maybe three or four of these certifications and started working in technology. And so every year I would focus on one technology. I'd read a ton of books on it, get a certification for it. And then I began to expand out into more business processes like Six Sigma, ITIL, these kind of framework strategies to help manage large organizations. And I started getting certified in those. And so it, it, that with the years of experience I was accumulating is, is probably one of the main reasons I was able to accelerate so quickly. Whereas you hear this, many people say this, but all of my peers were probably 10 years older than I was. And, but I had the knowledge because I was constantly reading and studying to be able to contribute to meetings or to projects, to initiatives, et cetera. But in the beginning, it wasn't really about, I love technology. I've always been very much more a business person and loving business as the pure, you know, science or practice. But I would say the times human beings adapt. And so I saw that as an avenue and I took it. And more broadly, I would say one of the things that have benefited me is in technology, you, a lot of times you have technologists that have no idea about business. And then you have business people that have no idea about technology. And so me being a natural business person and loving business and going to college and getting a degree in business, then also studying all this technology, I was always able to translate between the two. And it, it, it always put me in this kind of unique position to be able to just really navigate and, and, and add value as I, as I say frequently. So yeah, it was not a, it was not a choice of, I love technology. It was really about, I need a paycheck and I need that paycheck to be a decent amount and technology is the way. And also currently, especially I think Google has a, a site where you can learn how to use Google tools. Like how to use uh, analytics, how to use the, the, my business portion of Google yep. ads, yep. and also how to get people to like different business locations. It's something called skill shop. I think is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's almost like it's going back to that because there's a new, there's a new set of skills right now based upon the way that technology is moving. It's very much centered around data and data science. And there's just, and obviously mobile development, and there's just not enough people that know how to do these things. So when you see Google doing things like that, it's really because they are trying to create the workforce that they can hire to actually fulfill a lot of the things they need fulfilled because we're not prepared as a, as a human resource pool, whether it's here in the United States or even in India, where they spend a ton of time focusing on things like this. We are just not equipped for this era that we're going into right now of data science, the internet of things, 5G technology. That is an entirely new skill set that 
really has not been contemplated by our universities and certification systems and et cetera. So you, I believe you are going to see more and more companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, probably even Facebook getting in there at some point, trying to create programs so that people can learn these new areas so that they can hire them to be able to take advantage of these new technologies that have really blasted on the scene and are moving at a pace that is much faster than we can actually learn how to, how to use them and develop them. I think that the iTunes, that Apple has as a learning platform as well called iTunes University that people can use to learn. I think a majority of it is soft skills, communication, psychology, how to pitch to people. Yep. And what you're saying will happen is that those things will then become the mainstream in terms of you're looking for some work, you go on those sites, learn where you need to go and apply for a job that, that fits the criteria. And the other thing about those things is that people, everybody almost knows how to use each one of those things out of Google, Google Sheets and Gmail, mm -hmm. but they're little things that can take you deeper in understanding it, understanding the product even better. And it's learning those little things yep. that puts you almost like light years ahead of the rest of other people. So learning how to use Google Sheets and creating uh, a spreadsheet that can calculate the cost of tax for a small trucking business somewhere. So learning those little skills to help you and also help those around you just be better and have like a toolbox and you can go somewhere, take those skills with you, apply them, get what you need out of that job and then move on to the next or even stay there and build and become a part of that community as well. Yep. Yeah. You, you said it. I agree a hundred percent. And then also even tying it back to the freelancing space. I mean, what a lot of people I believe will begin to do which really has not, it really has not taken its shape yet. But I think, like I said, over the next 24, 36 months, you will see much more of this is going out and getting one of those certifications and then going right to a freelancing site like freelancing.com and opening up a service there to say, I can do this. I can create a business sheet for your trucking company or whatever. And you, you'd be surprised how many businesses are looking for people that can do that kind of thing. And right, right then and there, somebody gets a job for $200 to do that thing that they just learned at the Google Academy two weeks ago. And then they just continue to build and get better at it from there. In addition to, like you said, getting some type of job somewhere where they can also get the experience. I mean, it's just, I think from a skill gathering perspective and being able to deploy your skills as an individual, it almost reminds me of the music industry in that it used to be you could only go to these big record companies to get out your, your, your music, whereas now it's so federated, you could go, there's any number of platforms you can go to, to deploy your skills into the marketplace and get, and get compensated for it. I think from a general work perspective, I could see that same theme beginning to expand and really take root across the entire working landscape. The, the quote, specialization is for insects, but specialization is more now the thing. 
So if you can go on a website like freelancing and you can find someone who is looking for something specific that you can offer. So if you only do Google spreadsheets for trucking companies, you can put that in there. And someone who is part of a trucking company looking for some way to calculate their, their, their tax or, or shipping and handling, they can go and they can find that you do that. And you only have that posted. And so they think that you are the master at that because A, they have a specific need and you fill that need. And B, they see that you are the only person who fills that need and only that need and nothing That's else. Right. And so That's right. your complete devotion, your complete time and effort would be devoted to doing that thing for them in the best possible way because of those two things. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And what is becoming more apparent is people are realizing because of these types of platforms, there are millions of people looking for people that can do that one thing that they're looking for. And prior to freelancing platforms, it was pretty much a needle in a haystack. It was, it was almost impossible. And so you had to go try to either train somebody that you already hired and get them to go learn it, but they really didn't want to do it. So you got to wait or you had to go try to hire somebody and it was very expensive and very long. Whereas, you know, now you may just need that one spreadsheet. And as soon as somebody gives it to you, you're good. And you go find that person, you pay them the 200 bucks, whatever it is. And you have your spreadsheet now and, and they have a new client. So it's just the flexibility it gives, not just to the individual, but to businesses. It's just, it's a, it's a much more beneficial way to get work done. And it gives businesses the ability to say, Hey, for these responsibilities, I need somebody full-time. I can't, I can't deal with a part-time person for these core responsibilities, but every now and then when I need this one-off thing or that one-off thing, I have the flexibility to dip into a marketplace not paying an arm and a leg, get a job done, and then also develop a relationship with that person. If I need work done in the future, I can call them back on demand. And so it's just, a, it's a, it's a great tool. It, it's still very new, but I think the more and more people become aware of it and, and just how to use it and the benefit of it, you'll see it become more and more pervasive. Yeah. And like you say, it's, it's very new. You said you have a few thousand people on the platform. And that is, that, that's incredible because for someone who is just getting into freelancing, looking for opportunities and jobs, they post on the other, the bigger freelancing websites and they are super saturated. And the only way that, they, that they're able to get a job is A, if it's priced really, really low or B, or if they can have their price to be extremely high. But you need to have a few years of experience under your belt. And so with freelancing, you can set the price that you think is the best for you at the time that you are in terms of your skills and learning what you have learned. And then go ahead and raise the price to whatever you think it would be, what you imagine it would be for you after doing it for say six months, a year, 
two years. And so then that way you were slowly both getting the extra experience from the platform as well as interaction with clients and also be getting up those reviews and your price point can be high because you have your clients and you also have those reviews that then support what you're doing. That's right. That's right. And you touched on a very, very important point of just a lot of these platforms have become just jungles of hundreds of thousands of freelancers, one piled on top of the other. And what I've found with many of the businesses is when they go in and they kind of look at that and they're not familiar with, remember for businesses, this is still relatively new, even though those platforms have grown, you know, exponentially over the past, say five, seven years for most businesses, they still are not engaged in that. So when they go to a platform and they see a gazillion freelancers, all just kind of jumping on them, like mosquitoes walking through the Amazon, it becomes very, very intimidating. And they really, a lot of times don't know the questions to ask. They really don't know if they're getting a good deal. They don't know they are hiring the right person for what they need. And so that's one of the reasons I felt like more of a boutique offering where we are very high touch. We get engaged with the client. We ask them questions. We help them navigate through the process. It just makes it much easier for more businesses to take advantage of this type of a concept. And then the freelancers also benefit because a lot of the work is done up front for them. And so they're not coming in cold and trying to just start fresh. So this kind of boutique concept is one of the reasons back to the question you asked, I think way at the beginning of why do you think this could work? It's because I think some of those marketplaces have gotten quite frankly, just too big. And, and for businesses, many businesses that are not technically inclined, if you've got a trucking company, do you really know the right questions to ask about somebody that is developing Google sheets? Sometimes you might, sometimes you're an old truck driver and you've got no idea. So having more of a boutique offering that helps businesses ask the right questions the high touch, engaging them. I think there's absolutely a space for this. And I think it's one of the reasons why you see at any Chick-fil-A, the line of cars is wrapped around the building. And, but some of these other very large chains, not so much, right? It's just kind of your standard mix of uh, volume that you might see there. I just, I felt like this is really a differentiator now because these marketplaces have become so, so big, it becomes very confusing for people. And also it's that you're confused with everything. You don't know who to get in order to fulfill what you need because you're looking at both the price and the experience, looking at past work, and you're, you're caught up in the nitty gritty of it that you're not looking at the person who can actually do what you want to do. So with freelancing, there is an extreme chance that you can get a, what do you call it when someone gets, gets a job? You call it a gig? Yeah, it's called a gig. Fundamentally in the industry is called a gig. That's changing, yeah. but that name is the primary name right now. Yeah. So the best way to get a gig on, on freelancing or any other freelancing website is to specialize, have something in your bio that is completely specialized. So then that way the person who is looking for exactly what you have to offer can go there. 
That's right. search for it and you pop first page. So then that way you are front of mind and you are one of the few people there that they want to click on, check out your work and see exactly what you can offer to that. That's right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, even when you think about just a website, you, you, you hear people say all the time, I want a website. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is there's multiple types of websites that you can have. Do you want a landing page? Just one page that says what you do. Are you looking for a full blown site that has multiple pages in it and beliefs? Do you want a WordPress site? Are you looking for an e-commerce site? There's so many different types of sites. So even in that, to your point about specialization, if you're a freelancer, if you can do you know, two of those things. You'll want to create two different gigs on blance.com. One that says, I'll create a landing page for you. Another one that says, I'll create a WordPress page for you or an e-commerce page for you. And you describe those things very, very differently because there are people looking for those two distinct things. If you just say, I can create a website, no one really knows what you're talking about, or they don't know if you could create the type of website that they're looking for. And so you engage that person, you have meetings with them, you spend time only to find out, well, they want a Magento website and you don't know Magento. Yeah. And so they go back to the drawing board, you go back to the drawing board. So to your point about specialization, it, it is very important for uh, freelancers to list and be very specific about what they are delivering. And it just makes it that much easier. Yeah, and even to your point about a website's landing page versus a full-blown website. It could even be a landing page for business consultants in Atlanta. Correct. Versus just a general landing page. And so you can Absolutely. even go, just go completely zone in, look, look for the person that you absolutely want to work for and just say you offer that service. Get first, get the skills to offer that service to them, then offer that service in such a way that they want to come back to you again and again and again. Correct. Absolutely. 100% correct. Well, Russell, thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. I have one more question for you. And that is, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be? Wow. That, that's a great question. I think my message would be centered around empathy, I think is probably the word that jumps out. There, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And one of the things that I learned later in my life is different doesn't mean raw. There could be, you may have, a, you may have one view and someone has another view, but to mean the other view is necessarily wrong. That view could be right for them. So I've, I think there, there's, there's a huge opportunity, I would say, and we were talking about reading books and maybe reading books helped me to realize it. As you learn more about other cultures, you learn more about other people, other types of people, et cetera, and you really get into how they think and what makes them tick and how they view the world and how they solve specific problems and why they do it. You, you may not always do it that way but it just broadens your ability to understand that particular issue or problem or just humanity in general. So I think empathy and learning 
do more of that. I don't know. I don't know how I would exactly word that in a text. I'll probably have to do several iterations of the text to get it right. But that would be kind of maybe the core message. Always be learning and, and empathize and appreciate the differences in humanity, I think would be, it'd be something centered around that. Where can the listeners go to learn more about Lancing and whatever else you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to BeLancing.com and I would like to reciprocate to you. There is a podcast that I'm currently recording and will launch before the end of the year called the Ultimate Freelancer Podcast. So that is going to be the partner podcast for BeLancing.com, talking about freelancing in general, the how to draft the contract, experiences of freelancers, people who've done things like yourself, starting a podcast from scratch. So that, that will be coming out, but I would say the best thing right now, go to BeLancing.com. If you need something or if you can offer something, register and do that because there's someone out there that needs the thing that you do. And there's someone out there there that is offering the thing that you need. And the freelancing platforms are one of the best ways to bridge the gap between those two. Russell, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and uh, much success to you and, and your podcast in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at the Black Gold Pod in order to be updated about new episodes each week. In order to listen to incredible and inspiring stories, please go to the Black Gold Podcast website and make a donation so the stories of these incredible and amazing people will be waiting for you each and every week so that you may be inspired and become an inspiration to someone else.